Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ooh, that was good. That was a real good Merry Christmas. Um, welcome to Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, on this wonderful uh, Christmas. And if this is your first time with us, we are glad to have you with us. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and our lovely usher will bring one over to you. If you don't have one or if you're like, you know, I just want to feel the pages in between my hands, um, he, will, he will gladly oblige and bring one to you. So again, truly excited to be together this morning and this day. It's a cool uh, treat to get to have Christmas Eve on Sunday. It's a nice blessing um, that we get to start the time that we think about our Savior's birth in his house together with brothers and sisters. Amen. Um, last week, we got to have that uh, potluck and the talent show. And boy, oh boy, was that a treat. Um, we've got a talented group of people here. That's all I can say. It's really uh, wild. I remember still the first year Christina and I came, we we're like, what church have we landed in, Lord? There's like performers here. This is wild. And it just gets better and better. And uh, I would have paid money to see the show that we saw. So it was truly, truly a treat and blessing. Um, and despite the weather and everything, we were able to come together. So very, very grateful for that. Now, as we shift gears and we really think about Christmas, I really encourage all of us to truly prayerfully ponder Christ being born, to truly, truly ponder that as we delve into this season. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, Father God. We thank you for every Sunday when we're able to gather and, and come in your word, Lord. And this Sunday is extra special as we get to Remember the gift of you being born, Jesus, our King, humanity, God, sovereign. Thank you, Lord God. I pray that you help each and every single one of us this morning to lay aside anything that we've come in these doors with and just focus on you right now, Lord. Not worry about what we're cooking later, the things we have to do, the presents that still aren't wrapped, Lord but that we would focus on the most important present, the most important reason for all that we're doing. Jesus, you. Be with us this morning, Lord. Speak to your people through your vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, weeks back when we started the Christmas season, I had reminded us, and we actually sang that song this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we see... The Godhead veiled in flesh within that. And I encouraged us to truly be thinking about the lyrics that you are hearing in this season, the songs that you're hearing, thinking about what is taking place, thinking about what Christmas is truly about. And saints, I'm going to ask us to all do something for today and tomorrow. Slow down. I'm going to ask us to slow down because in this season we get so quick about all the things that need to be done and I want us to slow down and ponder Jesus. Let's slow down and ponder Jesus. It's not about Santa, okay? As Baldrick says, mm, not real. Um, and, and the reality there is there's only one who is all-knowing and who sees you when you're sleeping and all those things, Jesus, folks. Just one, not a guy with a beard, sorry. Just one, Jesus. Now also, it's not about all the decorations. It's not about all the good food that we're going to eat. And after that potluck, boy, can this church cook, so I know y'all are going to eat well today. But it's not about all the good food. It's not about all the gifts. 
It's not about all of those things. As we prepare for Christmas, a question for you, have you decorated your heart to ponder the gift of his birth? A question for you, as you think about the food you're going to prepare, have you fed on scripture to prepare your heart to remember his birth? And as we think about all the gifts and all the things that we're going to be doing, are you thinking about the greatest gift of all, Jesus? And what gift will you give him in how you live your life? Saints, don't give in to what society says this time of the year needs to be. We don't have to get lost in the commercialism, the hustle, the bustle, all of those things. Keep Jesus at the center. Now, when we think about Jesus... If you can't tell, I like acrostic poems, so here's a little acrostic poem on Jesus. Journeyed into humanity, embracing God's will, serving and suffering upon the cross that all could have salvation, hope, peace, eternal. Jesus, our King. That's what this time of year is all about. It's about Jesus. It's about his birth. It's about the gift that we get through this little babe being born And coming in the flesh, God, for you and for me. Now, our text today is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And I want to share a little clip of uh, Handel's Messiah. Because, as many of you know, used to be a performer, opera singer. And any time I would read this text, I could not help but always hear, For unto us a child is born, and hear that, and think back to performing and all that. But I just want us to listen to a little bit of it, and this is uh, the Boston Baroque Ensemble, and what's kind of cool with this is they're doing it traditionally um, as it would have been performed in that time. So let's get that up, and we'll get a little taste of that. There we go. Uh, so that piece is one near and dear to my heart, but I, and I remember doing it once, and the conductor for that wonderful counselor, we ran that like 20 times, just over and over again. He's like, no, he's wonderful. Make him wonderful. And really, big gesture, big grand. But I remember it was shortly after being a new believer that I was getting to perform that piece. And we did the whole work. It's about three hours when you do the whole thing. But to really think about who he is, to truly think about the titles that we see within this text of who our king is. Now, within our culture today, we think about the war going on in Israel and continue to pray for them, pray for salvation, pray for what's going on in that region. But in the midst of that, the rapture waiters are all waiting for the rapture, and we're all thinking about when is it coming, when is it coming? But we also forget to relish in all of the prophecy that's been fulfilled. And what we're looking at today is Isaiah's prophecy That's been fulfilled. Psalm 22, this past week that we finished, prophecy of the crucifixion, that's been fulfilled. Isaiah, the name means salvation of the Lord. And this book, Isaiah, is all about salvation and deliverance. There's five different acts of God's deliverance that are prophesied. The deliverance of Judah from the Assyrian invasion. And remember, at this time when we're thinking about Israel, it's split into two different areas. There's the northern area called Israel with the capital Samaria. And the southern area, Judah, with Jerusalem as the capital. We're talking about the deliverance of a nation from Babylonian captivity. We're seeing the future deliverance of the Jews from worldwide dispersion among the Gentiles. We see the deliverance of lost sinners from judgment within Isaiah's prophecy. And we see the deliverance of creation 
from bondage of sin when the ultimate kingdom is established. The theme of this book, the theme of Isaiah, and the focus that it hits today is only one truly ushers in that great deliverance, King Jesus. Some call Isaiah the fifth gospel when you look at it. Now, you know, when we're going to do a verse, I give you a little nutshell so you know what we're talking about, so we don't just go there out of context. Isaiah was called to ministry in the year that King Uzziah died. That's 739 BC. And he ministered through the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who died in 686. Isaiah, when we look at his life, when we look at him, he was a man clearly in touch with God. And he was seeking to convey the message he heard from God and wanting to bring the people of the nation back before it was too late. That was his desire. And I think we can empathize with that desire in our culture today. Turn back to Jesus, people. Turn back to Jesus. Isaiah loves his nation. We see many times that he says, my people, at least 26 times within the book. He hated sin and fake religion. He was courageous to stand against all the ways the kings and priests were putting things down, but he would boldly go in the public and boldly declare the word of God. An interesting thing with the book of Isaiah, how many books are in the Bible? 66. Isaiah has 66 chapters. 39 Books of the Old Testament, 39 chapters uh, in the first section, 27 books in the New Testament, 27 chapters in the second section. The big first chunk of the Old Testament, we look at it, and what does it convey? The history and sins of Israel. Guess what Isaiah 1 through 39 hits? The history and sins of Israel. Then the New Testament describes the person and ministry of Christ. Guess what chapters 40 to 66 do? The ministry and person of Christ foretold. The New Testament starts with John the Baptist's ministry. Guess what the second part of Isaiah starts with? The prophecy of John the Baptist's ministry. The New Testament ends by referring to the new heavens and the new earth. Guess what Isaiah ends with? Describing the same things. Check out Isaiah 66 and Revelation 21 this afternoon if you want. Why does that all matter? It reveals the mystery of our God. It reveals his ability to so uniquely weave together the word of God that we hold in our hands to point to the greatest gift of all, Jesus, the gift of the season, Jesus. Now we could go deeper on Isaiah, but that would be all morning and we're not going to do that. But when we think about the verses we're going to look at today, verses six and seven, just two verses that pack a mighty punch, we're going to see the prophecy of Christ. We're going to see Christ's humanity, Christ's deity. We're going to see the sovereignty of Christ. We're going to see the character, the nature, and the attributes of our Messiah. And as we explore all of that, we'll have to reconcile with this blessed birth. As blessed believers, do we receive the gift? Do we relish in the gift? And do we radiate the gift that we have in King Jesus And then ask ourselves, am I truly running the race with endurance? So let's stand and read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, unless you'd like to sing it now that you heard the Handel's Messiah. Any takers? For unto us. Okay. Ooh, that's this church. People actually start singing. Wow. I love it. All right. Let's read. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called 
wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord God, and we thank you for this prophecy fulfilled of our Savior being born, Lord. Holy Spirit, enable me and equip me to bring forth what you need for your people this morning, unto salvation, unto renewal, unto greater depths of knowing you and living for you. Help us to receive the manna that you have for us this day as we ponder the greatest gift, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Now before we dig in, a few chapters back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, there's a prophecy of our king also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Now, we as believers, we as Christians, I think we do a very good job pointing always to the deity of Christ. I do think sometimes we neglect to stand for and point to the humanity of our king. And to remember the humanity of our king. Remember, this text is to Jewish people of Isaiah's time. And they are told that the Messiah, in ver- what we saw in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, will come through a virgin. And that means, guess what? The Messiah is not going to be an angel, not going to be a woman, not going to be a random vessel. A man. A human. Chapter 7 through 12 of Isaiah are like a mini book within Isaiah all about Emmanuel to come, pointing to him, predicted 700 years before his birth. Saints, that should urge us all to pray when we think about Israel and what's going on, that people as they read Isaiah would come to see Yeshua, Jesus is Messiah, would come to know this is the King of Kings. Now chapter 9 where we are, Isaiah points to joy that's going to come. And why is that joy coming? Because of deliverance to come. And why is that deliverance coming? Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Unto us a child is born. Christ's humanity. That points so clearly to his humanity. Unto us a child is born. A son is given points to his deity. And the government shall be upon his shoulder points to his reign and his sovereignty. And barely even getting through the text, we already have it all pointed out. He's man, he's God, he's king over all. We're done. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Now, let's take the first part of this. He is man. In the early church, we have to remember what was attacked often was Christ's humanity. Because what was going on there? Gnosticism. And Gnosticism struggled greatly with Jesus' real human body. They deny it. They reject it. Yet we're in the Gospel of John regularly. In John 1.1, what do we read? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We got that. And then we have to remember verse 14. And the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His humanity. 
unto us a child is born. Jesus never became God. He always was God. We saw that in John 1.1. He's preexistent. He always was. But he did become human through his birth. He became human. Jesus was an embryo, fetus. He had a placenta. He had an umbilical cord attached. He went through birth. There was an epidural free birth. Woo, it can happen. I'm telling you, home birth. And Jesus, of that birth, also grew up as a toddler. And now having a toddler, I'm like, wow, I wonder what toddler Jesus was like. Parents in the room, wow. Did he say no, 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 no. (laughs) Then also, guess what? In humanity, Jesus, teens in the room, guess what? He went through puberty. All the stuff y'all are going through right now, Jesus went through all those adventures as well. Jesus, at the well, as we saw, guess what? He was weary. He was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus, at the scene with Lazarus, wept. Saints, do you ever sit and relish and ponder the humanity of our Savior that was born on Christmas? The humanity of him. If we think about Hebrews chapter 4, there's three verses that I love when I'm thinking about prayer. And it's up. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, his humanity, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that because it points so much to our Savior's humanity. The fact that he can sympathize with our weaknesses because this little babe that was born was human. He was human. He was man and he was God. And in his being man, he sympathizes with that weakness. And then we get to go boldly to him for grace and mercy. Now let's look at the birth. If we turn to Luke chapter 2. And this, as we read this, is not fanfare. This is not a fairy tale. This is actual history recorded. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, about 80 miles. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Such an amazing thing that happens. Our Savior being born, but Luke kind of just gives it. The time came, she's delivered. The baby came. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Now that's an important thing. Former Catholic. Catholics, if there's any Catholics visiting today, welcome. I want to share something. Mary's not a perpetual virgin. And this proves this. Because she brought forth her firstborn son. There's other children that are going to come. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. So this is the birth of our king. Now, how does this virgin birth take place? We look at chapter 1, verse 26. 
Now in the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Remember at that time, it was a phase of marriage. There's the engagement, the dads make their agreement. There's the betrothed where they're, okay, we're going to make now our promises. This is a ceremony. And then a year later, when the bride doesn't know, the bridegroom comes for the bride. And that's the portrait our Savior gives us, eagerly awaiting his return. We keep going. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The angel tells Mary, You are favored. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed. If we read Isaiah 1.6, we're told as believers we're favored by the Lord. If we read Matthew 28.20, we're told that the Lord is with us. And if we read Ephesians 1.3, we're told we're blessed. So these three things that this Mary is hearing in this apply to the believer. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. I'm a virgin. How can this be? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, the covering of a cloud, the Shekinah glory. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, The maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Unto us a child is born. His birth through the Holy Spirit allows us to have a new birth through that same Holy Spirit. Convicting us unto repentance, unto regeneration. Unto us a child is born. He is man. Then we read next in our text, unto us a son is given. He is God. He is deity. Again, think of this. The unto us is saying to the Jews. It comes to the Jews first, then the Gentiles, which is why, saints, I say again, pray as Jewish people read Isaiah, that they realize he's come. A son is given. What does it mean that the son is given? Well, we're in the Gospel of John normally. John 3, 16. What does it mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his own Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And we saw in Isaiah 14, 7.14, that point to the Son coming. The Son is given. This is God coming into humanity. Jesus never became God. He always was. And as we see in John, he comes as God the Son for us. And we saw in the text of Luke that we look at the birth. If we go back there, and we'll put it up here so you don't have to flip too much. Verse 30, 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. He's going to be Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. When we read that, saints, we see tied directly to what Isaiah is saying, he's more than just a man. He is man and he is God. And that is quite a birth announcement or gender reveal if we think about our culture today. That's a birth announcement. He's going to be king forever and ever and ever. That's the kingdom is also foretold. And we see that kingdom foretold in our text. And the government will be upon his shoulder. He is sovereign. Kings at that time, they would have the robe placed upon them. It would symbolize the burdens of the people there. And here we see upon his shoulder, everything's going to be on him because he is sovereign. He shall rule the millennial reign into the reign forever and ever and ever. Three lines of text. And Isaiah gives us everything about Jesus. Man, God, King forever. Another place in scripture where we see a similar portrait of all who our king is, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And it's about us having that mind within us, the mind of our Savior, something you could ponder as you celebrate his birth. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What did he do? But he made himself of no reputation. Jesus obeys God's will, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. God veiled in the flesh. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That little manger, if we think about all the nativity scenes you can see when you drive around right now, it's a blessing to see that. That little baby born to die for you and me, that we can have eternal life, obedient unto death, death on the cross. Then we see, after Isaiah lays out who he is, and his name will be called. Now these are not literal names. These are names that point to his character and the attributes of who he is. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Five attributes that we get that are telling us about our king. Now, we could really say maybe four, because I'm going to have us look at the first two as one. In the Hebrew text, there's no punctuation, so that comma wouldn't be there. And I want us to look at the first together. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Ladies, you had your ladies' retreat and the theme was wonderful. I remember Christina, I said, no, it's wonderful, wonderful. And when we think of who he is, when we think of what he's done, that's when we experience what true wonder is. When we think about our king like that. For honestly, there truly is only one, I believe, we should use the word wonderful for, Jesus Words matter, and I think in our culture, sometimes we we diminish these words that Jesus is wonderful. 
Your bacon's good, but Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is the one that is wonderful. Then we see counselor. Jesus, counselor, the only one that we should allow to guide our lives. And if we think about it, we often go to Instagram, we go to photos, we go to psychics, we go to doctors, we go to all of these people. I need some counsel. And we neglect to go to the counselor. Because guess what? Turn to Genesis 3. Let's take a gander at the first time counsel's given on earth. In Genesis chapter 3, first time we see counsel given. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall surely not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Why didn't he say anything? I don't know. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. It's the first time counseling is offered on earth. Wasn't the best counsel, was it? We need to be weary of who we take counsel from. Because there's only one true counselor, Jesus. There's only one who knows all the questions and all the answers. Jesus. So on this Christmas, do ponder a little bit, who do you seek counsel from? Who is your go-to counselor? Spurgeon has a good quote that I like on this idea of Christ as a counselor. Why? You may have a friend that talks very sweetly with you. And you will say, well, he is a kind, good soul, but I really cannot trust his judgment. You have another friend who has a good deal of judgment. And yet you say of him, certainly he is a man of prudence above a great many, but I cannot find out his sympathy. I never get at his heart. If he were ever so rough and untutored, I would sooner have his heart without his prudence than his prudence without his heart. But we go to Christ and we get wisdom. We get love. We get sympathy. We get everything that can possibly be wanted in a counselor. So that baby born in a manger, that's your counselor. And you get all the counsel you need from him. And he gives it to us in his word. Who is your counselor? Go to him for wisdom. James 1 talks about when the trials come, what do we do? Ask God for wisdom. He gives liberally to all who ask in faith. And you've got to start, though, without doubt, because there's got to be faith in the counselor. So wonderful counselor. Next we read, mighty God. He is God of all creation and glory. We sometimes have talked about how Jehovah's Witnesses, as we're looking at the Gospel of John, they will say, okay, yes, there's this fact, but but Jesus wasn't wasn't God. we got to just understand that. He wasn't. And this is a thing. They'll come for this, and they'll say there's a difference between mighty and almighty. To them I say fake news. There's no difference in Scripture. He is mighty God. 
He is pre-existent. He has all strength. He has all power. It comes from one alone, Jesus Christ. Only one has that strength and power, Jesus. The baby, mighty God. For those who are at the talent show, one of my favorite moments of it was the end of Jay's song when he got down and he says, Jesus, my Savior, to the baby. And that was just such a powerful portrait. It was like, yeah, wow, that little baby lying in the manger. Savior, King. Then the next attribute we see, everlasting Father. Oh, that that means God isn't really the first person of the Trinity. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about there when we see everlasting Father. Remember, we see Father attributed within Scripture. What is Satan called? The Father of lies. What we're talking about here is Jesus is the Father of eternity. He reigns forever and ever. He is the source and author of all to come in eternity. We've seen it in the Gospel of John. Who's going to judge? God the Son. And then the next attribute we see of him, Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Back to lyrics at this time of the year. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. How many of you remember those lyrics? But how many of you have actually pondered, what does peace on earth look like? When will peace on earth actually be ushered in? 1 Timothy 2, 5 tells us, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The one who will usher in peace between God and man, the one who ushers in peace within our hearts is Jesus alone, the true king. And that peace on earth that we're seeing mentioned here, we've got to go on to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. His government and his peace shall increase with no limits. There will be no end to the government of King Jesus when that reign comes. And guess what? He shall be upon the throne of David. For saints that are in the Psalms study, we've talked about this prophecy and this promise that the covenant God makes with David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That throne is established forever through the line of David, Jesus coming. That's why, saints, the genealogies, when we see them in Scripture, don't just go, oh my goodness, all these names, I can skip that. No, 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 it's important. Matthew, Luke points to the line of David. It points to show us the lineage of our Savior. And it's important, particularly Isaiah, this is written to Jewish people who would be looking for Messiah to come and looking for him to reign as a political figure and king. But the kingdom that comes through Christ is more powerful and exceeds any expectation they could have. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. God performs that kingdom through Jesus, God the Son. This is a kingdom that time forward, even forever, 
He reigns forever and ever. Back to Handel's Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. He shall. That is true. He will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So in verse 6, we point to the first coming of Christ. His birth. God veiled in the flesh for our salvation. Then in verse 7, what are we looking at? The second coming, Christ's reign, ushered in with the special millennial reign that leads into his reigning forever and ever and ever. Remember I said at the start, it's two verses that pack a mighty punch. You get everything about Jesus, you get his first coming foretold, you get the second coming foretold, and you get told he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. But guess what, saints? Jesus, as king, reigning forever and ever, that kingdom can start now. No, I'm not about to talk about kingdom now theology. That's not where we're going. What we're talking about is the truth of his word. Think of what we just saw. Unto us a child is born. If we receive and believe the birth of that child, we are born again. Romans 6.23, many of us know it. For the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. Words matter. I deserve a break. I've been working so hard. No, we all deserve death. Merry Christmas. No, but, but this, is, this is the reality. We all deserve death. But the best but in Scripture, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to remember the fall took place. We saw that counsel given in Genesis 3. And we have to then see ourselves and realize we're depraved. I can't do this on my own anymore. And that tiny baby, Jesus, is the Savior, is the King of the world. I want to believe in him. I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that he truly is God veiled in the flesh. And at that point, you receive the gift. And what is that gift? The gift of the Son given. God the Son given. How is he given? I'll read a prophecy of how he's given. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. So speaking of the same king. And as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross. That's how the son's given. He's given on the cross. Dying for us. That we can have salvation. Unto us a son is given. And if we receive the gift. That God the father gives. And God the sons. Guess what? We then give ourselves unto God the son. As bond servants. Of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you living as a bond servant? Because as a bondservant, you realize the wonderful counselor fills your heart. 
And then you abide in the mighty God. And then you live with the hope of the everlasting Father in eternity to come. And you experience the Prince of Peace. Because he reigns in your heart. And saints, when Christ reigns in your heart and you're truly surrendered to him, that's when you know true peace. If you're here today and wondering, this is so hard, I just can't have peace. I'm trying all these things. There's only one place that's going to give true peace, Jesus. Wednesday with Psalm 22, we talked about Christ as Savior. But we also asked the question, is he Lord? Do you worship him? And guess what? Obedience is worship of our king. You experience his kingship when you daily sacrifice yourself. And you let Christ reign in your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because every fiber in your being is all about Jesus, our king. Born to die that we can have salvation. His first coming, this birth that we celebrate this time of year gives us access to all that he has to offer. Gives us the blessed hope of the rapture. Gives us the promise of the millennial reign, the new heavens, the new earth, eternity with our triune God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's what Christmas is about, saints. That's what Christmas is about. Christ, his birth, his purpose, and the joy we glean from that. So this Christmas, I have a few questions for you. There's still going to be a charge, even on Christmas. (laughs) Have you received the gift of the season? Jesus. Truly, where's your eternal hope placed? Do you have the peace of the Prince of Peace in your heart? Or do you have the temporary peace that the world gives with vices and fixes that put you in bondage? Come to the bondage breaker, Jesus, Messiah. Do you have that peace that never ceases? If you don't, let's talk after this. And if you're sitting here like, yep, I received the gift. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you seek to receive a refreshment of his Holy Spirit filling you anew each day? Receive that today. Question two, do you relish in the gift of this season? Jesus Is the Christmas that you're about to embark on, we're going to be finishing soon, sing a song, and then we all go. Is what you're about to embark on really having Christ at the center? Or is it just traditions, it's things that you've always done? Are you even going to read scripture today? Will you open the word of God in your home and look to his birth? Will you even talk about Jesus? If Jesus showed up in the middle of your home later tonight or tomorrow, would he know what you're doing is about him? Or would he say, I don't really get what you're doing. Am I present? That's a real question we have to ask. And I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not knocking tradition. But if you're not going to open the word of God today, change that. Well, we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Change it. Christmas is about Jesus. Open the word of God and read his word and relish in the gift of his salvation. Pray for one another. Celebrate his birth. Do you radiate the gift of this season? Jesus. In John 4, we saw we worship in spirit and truth. It ties to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the world. Be renewed by what? The word. Does your thought life, does your mind life radiate the best gift of this season? Jesus. 
Make this Christmas about receiving, relishing, radiating. And then run the race. And then you can run that race more. Now, uh, Pastor David has, as, has Jeff and I, we're going to be singing. Um, I'll be singing. Jeff will be playing. Uh, Mary, did you know? As we close. And as this is being sung, I want you to think of the lyrics. And I want you to reflect on the text that we just studied. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Reflect on the truth of Jesus. As you reflect, receive the gift of Jesus. Receive and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you anew. Relish in his attributes. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Relish in his kingdom to come. And saints, radiate. Radiate the good news of the gospel. And as you radiate that good news, run the race with endurance. Unto our King and for our King, Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus. Reflect, receive, relish, radiate, run the race. And as you do all that, what will your birthday offering be to King Jesus this year? What will your birthday offering be to him?